Hi, this is Wayne Zell, and you're listening to Blueprint for Wealth, a compendium of podcasts designed to help you realize your personal dreams of wealth and freedom. Blueprint for Wealth is made possible by the law firm of Odin, Feldman, and Pittleman, a full-service law firm located in Reston, Virginia, serving the entire D.C. metro area with clients all across the country. If you'd like to know more about OF&P, Visit us on the web at OFPlaw.com. And I invite you to subscribe to my blog, BlueprintForWealth.org, where you can find articles, podcasts, and videos of interest in the areas of tax, estate, and business planning for your viewing, listening, and reading pleasure. Today, we're going to be talking about the phenomenon known as premium financing. Premium financing is a form of life insurance that has some risks and it has some benefits for those that utilize it. There's traditional recourse premium financing where a client enters into a fully collateralized loan arrangement with the goal of holding the life insurance policy to maturity. Traditional financing arrangements generally are purchased for estate liquidity needs, and now they're being used to provide for additional executive benefits for employers and employees. The benefits of premium financing arrangements include the following. First, premium financing can eliminate the requirement for a large upfront or continuous stream of payments to an insurance company. In other words, there's a bank or a third party financing all or a portion of the premiums on the life insurance. In addition, multiple insurance policies can be attached to a single premium financed contract, which allows for a single payment and a plan to cover all of the insurance coverage, even though it might cover more than one policy. In addition, premium financing is a transparent way of providing benefits to an individual or the company that is providing the insurance. Brokers transmit the completed premium finance arrangement to the premium finance company, and the policyholder is billed as they would be for any other kind of life insurance policy. Another benefit is that it allows a client, you, to obtain needed coverage without affecting the liquidity of other assets or being forced to liquidate assets to pay for the premiums on the life insurance. The main benefit in a premium financing arrangement is avoiding the opportunity cost in paying insurance premiums out of pocket. By using other people's money, i.e. leveraging a lender's capital as opposed to your own, you can retain a significant amount of capital and therefore apply it for other purposes. The typical client profile for a premium financed arrangement is somebody who's anywhere from age 29 to 75, with a net worth of $5 million or more, or who has significant income, annual income, but does not have a net worth. It's a business owner or an employee of a small company. It's an entrepreneur or an employee of a large company. Oftentimes it involves professionals, and it really is someone who desires to use capital for purposes other than paying for life insurance. Especially with the advent of indexed universal life policies. Premium financing arrangements have become more and more popular. Now, there are a variety of risks and ways of mitigating that risk. 
The first risk that you typically talk about in premium financed arrangements is interest rate volatility risk. Since the interest due on the money lent to pay the premiums is usually tied to an index, usually LIBOR, the London Interbank Offered Rate, or PRIME if interest rates rise, the total interest charge will also rise as well. If the policy owner can't afford to pay the interest payments, then they stand to lose their insurance and can be left with significant debt if the surrender value of the policy is less than the balance owed on the loans. If this becomes the case, the client would have not been able to pay the premiums on a non-financed policy in any event. So as with anything else, you have to make sure that you can afford the policy in the first place. Responsible lenders take this risk into account when they do their financial underwriting. Typical loan rates are pegged to one-year LIBOR rates, which have been traditionally low over the last 10 years and often have a competitive spread of around 180 basis points or 1.8%. Most borrowing rates can be around 25 to 6%, depending on the one-year LIBOR, the fixed spread from LIBOR, and who is providing the insurance and who is providing the lending. I'm aware of one particular insurance company out of Dallas, NIW, that has been extremely successful in bundling insurance policies and premiums to achieve extremely favorable rates and extremely favorable terms. Another risk is renewal risk. In some cases, a lender might have the right to call the loan at the end of the term. Virtually all premium financing loans have terms of a duration less than the life of the policy. An additional risk is carrier credit rating risk. Financing terms, lending terms, are usually sensitive to the credit rating of the insurance carrier who is holding the finance policy. Carrier downgrades may result in the lender choosing not to pay the additional premiums, and this may require the borrower to post additional collateral or call the loan and collapse the collateral and collect on it to cover the money due to the lender. Most premium finance platforms require carriers that they have S&P ratings of at least A or greater. Another risk is crediting rate risk. Carriers choose the crediting rate of an in-force block of business at will. Current crediting rates are not guaranteed. Because of this, any arbitrage in interest rates between the policy crediting rate and the loan interest rate may not exist in the future and this is part of the risk of using premium financing. Further risk is what we call the credit spread risk. Life insurance carriers and premium finance lenders use the same fundamental financial instruments. Carriers fund insurance contracts with corporate debt. Lenders provide liquidity at personal debt rates. So corporate debt yields are less than the personal debt rates and because of this, premium financing might carry a negative spread for the client who's financing the premiums. Indexed universal life insurance, which has become much more popular in the world of premium financing, through indexing may provide the policy the interest crediting needed to support the arbitrage on the credit. There's also collateral risk. Most premium financing arrangements that are designed to provide liquidity to the client at death are 100% collateralized. In most cases, a client either posts a letter of credit, gives access to a securities account, or 
provides other non-financed life insurance policies, annuities, or other hard assets that are approved by the lender to satisfy the collateral underlying the premium finance loan. Collateral requirements may vary with economic conditions and could force the client to liquidate positions in order to post collateral. Also, a decrease in the value of collateralized assets such as real estate or securities could require the insured, you, or their estate to post additional collateral. There's also something called settlement risk. Some premium financing programs are sold under the assumption that the policy will have a substantial market value at the end of the term. The client can then exit the financing arrangement and get a gain on its investment. Secondary life insurance markets are highly volatile. Settlement offers will vary with the interest rate environment and the degree to which capital will wait for a return. So any premium finance program or broker that induces you to enter into a premium finance transaction with the sole purpose of selling the policy after the policy is no longer contestable, usually two years, by the issuing carrier may be illegal and violates the state's insurable interest rules. You also have to have, as I just said, an insurable interest in order to have valid life insurance. It's a concept that dates back to the English legal system in the 1600s and before. Wagering on the life of an insured was common in those days. And many times, a person with absolutely no interest in the life of the person on whose life they were betting, economic or otherwise, would take out a life insurance contract on a sea captain, for example, who was running dangerous routes, or a boxer facing a deadly opponent. This caused the English courts to declare that an individual who took out a life insurance contract on the life of the insured must have an insurable interest in that person's life. In simplest terms, this means that you must benefit more by having the individual insured alive than dead. Direct blood relatives certainly have an insurable interest in a family member, and a business partner can have an insurable interest in another business partner. This is a really misunderstood concept in the world of insurance. Insurable interest either exists when a policy is issued or it does not. If an insured is premium financing a policy, and his direct blood relatives are named beneficiaries when the policy is issued, then an insurable interest is always there. It's never at issue. If an insured changes ownership of the policy as soon as it is issued, but the beneficiaries are related by blood when the policy was issued, there are no insurable uh, interest issues. Life insurance is personal property. It's like a car, a home, or any other asset that you own. You've got the right to pledge it or sell it or change ownership of it as long as it was issued with the death benefit going to a blood relative or some other related party who has that insurable interest. Recent court cases have been hearing arguments from insurance carriers regarding the sale or transfer of ownership of policies in courts around the country by insureds that have sold their policies to investors. The courts have overwhelmingly found in favor of the insureds, finding that the insurable interest existed at the time the policy was issued, and therefore the right to sell or transfer the policy after its issuance was the choice of the insured enjoyed by any other asset holder of any other asset. Many life insurance carriers have tried and generally have done so unsuccessfully to challenge these sales because the insurable interest doesn't exist, they argue 
or by trying to prove that the insured intended to sell the policy before the policy was ever taken out. The courts have found the intent is irrelevant, that when an insurable interest exists at the beginning of the policy, it always exists even if the policy is sold a week or two later. The current environment for premium uh, financing is interesting. They were under intense scrutiny over the last 10 or 15 years, and enforced financed policies still are being called for collateral in large numbers. But there are new policies that are being underwritten by savvy carriers and smart premium finance lenders, where the risk of losing the collateral or losing the policy during the term of the policy is being mitigated by the use of such techniques as indexed universal life policies, and it's being uh, secured in an environment of low interest rates that has enhanced the use of premium financing today. If you want to know more about premium financing, either for estate planning and liquidity purposes or for compensating your employees if you're an entrepreneur or a publicly traded company, please give us a call, Wayne Zell at 703-218-2177 or send me an email at wayne.zell at ofplaw.com. Also, if you'd like to get more information on insurance, taxes, estate planning or business planning, please visit my blog, www.blueprintforwealth.org. Thanks for listening to Blueprint for Wealth and tune in to our next podcast.